Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Will you join me in prayer? Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you so much for an incredible day already. We ask that you would prepare our hearts. And Lord, just like Wayne, that we would desire not just to get to heaven, Lord, but to take those around us with us. Show us in Jesus' name. Amen. Today in I Am Second, the topic is leading Second, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. What a way to start a Sunday. Baptisms. Uh, honoring our uh, men who have served uh, in, in the Army and the Air Force I saw represented this morning. And now we get to go into God's Word. What a day. Well, with this topic of leading second, I want to share with you, uh, many of you know I was in the military before I went into ministry. Uh, 28 years, I served in the Air Force, uh, reached the highest enlisted rank, uh, Chief Master Sergeant. And when I would go around, a lot of times they would ask, Chief Tabor, what is your leadership philosophy? And so I want to share that with you. I had three points of my leadership philosophy, and number one was this. I am your advocate. Do you trust me? Number two, nothing is outside of my lane. How can I help? And number three, influence is my goal, not authority. As a pastor, I can tell you that my leadership philosophy hasn't changed. I am your advocate. Do you trust me? You know, that's easy to say. Sometimes it's hard to receive when I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone or I'm giving you an opportunity to serve in a place that you know you're supposed to be serving and yet you've never stepped up. There's nothing outside of my lane. There's no area of your life that as your pastor, I cannot boldly go to the throne of grace on your behalf. How can I help? And influence is my goal, not authority. I had plenty in the military. I don't need any in this position. But what I do want to do is I want to help you to be a better Christ follower. The problem with that is that's not always so easy. It's easy on my part. And sometimes it's hard when you're sitting in the seat. When it comes to leadership, here's a couple of things you need to know about a leader. Number one is a leader sees more than others see. At the beginning of this year, I shared with you my goals that I believed were our goals as a church. And one of those goals was to baptize 50. Today, you saw the 58th person get baptized. 
Last year, uh, using the number 20, I challenged us to, to baptize 20, and we only reached 14. Now, that, if you're a goal setter, you're like, oh, I don't like that at all. That's 14 people in heaven. 14 Christ followers. And more than we baptized in the last 10 years at this church. And though even though we didn't reach that goal, at the beginning of this year, the Lord just put the number 50 on my heart. I wanted to see 50 men in our men's ministry. I wanted to see 50 women in our women's ministry. We saw both of those things happen. I believe uh, there's over 100 different men who uh, have been a part of our life groups, our breakfasts. You, if you watch our Facebook page, many were out here on Wednesday morning finishing up our um, playground for our children who will be enjoying that today. You, you've heard of me affectionately refer to the ladies as the mafia. And going into this year, the number 50 was the number. And, and so I boldly put it out there. See, a leader sees more than others see. A leader sees farther than others see. If you go in the back, there's a document that says what Crossroads Church might look like in 2030. Now, if you read that, some of you, it might scare you, and you'll go find another church. But God has so much more planned for you, and God has so much more planned for our church and it's all outside of our comfort zone. Do you think it wasn't outside of my comfort zone to boldly proclaim that God had convinced me that we were going to baptize 50 people this year? It was, especially when we didn't make 20 the year before. But here's one thing that I've learned is I don't have to figure out how God's going to do it. I've just got to get to work and let him work through me. One of the Sundays when we had baptized 17, I ran into another pastor that evening, and, and he said, how things go today? Well, I couldn't keep it in. I shared with him. He goes, what? He goes, how in the world? And we talked about how many we had been up to at that point in the year, which was uh, over almost 40. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm not doing anything. My church is. My church is bringing their family. They're bringing their friends. They're inviting their co-workers. Those are the people that are getting saved and baptized. And so I'll tell you this, a leader sees before others see. And I want you to know that God has a great plan for your life. I don't care what stage of life you're in. I don't care what the circumstance look like for your life. And you need to surround yourself with people who will see that for you when you can't see it yourself. And then you've got to trust. But that's easier said than done. If you found Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read a few verses to you. And the, the first verse is verse 20, Matthew 20, verse 20. It says, then the mother of the Zebedee's sons. Now, I got to tell you something here that I think the disciples figured out that Jesus had a soft spot for moms. 
He started his ministry turning water into wine at the request of his mom. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, who was absolutely on the doorsteps of death. And so John and James, they figured this game out and they went and they manipulated their mom and they said, Mom, we need you to go to Jesus and ask for something. Because I just don't see a mom doing this without being manipulated. And then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. And she said, grant that one of these two sons, and let me tell you a little bit about these two sons. You know their names are James and John. But Jesus called them when he first met them, the sons of thunder. I don't think that was a compliment. They were harsh, foul-mouthed, and vindictive fishermen. They were manipulative, and they used their mom to get what they wanted. In Mark chapter 3 is where Jesus declares them the sons of thunder. In Luke chapter 9 is where they live out that prophecy. Because Jesus and his disciples were traveling. They had gone into a Samaritan town and they could not find a room. Matter of fact, the Samaritans ridiculed and mocked them and kicked them out. And I could just picture Jesus with his disciples up on the hill overlooking the village. And James and John came up to Jesus and said, Would you like us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? That's James and John. That's two of the men that Jesus picked to be his disciples. That's who we're talking about. The sons of thunder. And so mom says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. I talked about the kingdom last week. Matter of fact, we should be kingdom-minded. Not just James and John. We should be kingdom-minded. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, maybe it sounds like they're seeking it first, but Jesus had some words for them. In verse 22, he says, you do not know what you're asking. You see, here's the problem with ambition. In excess, ambition damages reputations. It destroys relationships and it can lead to catastrophic failure. The other spectrum of ambition is if you have too little ambition, the person looks like they're lazy and unmotivated. But there's a balance there that we all need to find in our walk with Christ. And it leads to creativity and innovation. It leads to greater levels of performance. It increases and gives us deeper levels of joy and satisfaction. But we have to find that balance. And let me just tell you, James and John had not found the balance. Their ambition outran them. And they manipulated mom into helping them out. Verse 23, Jesus continues and he says, Those places on his right hand and on his left, belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father.
You see, James and John didn't realize what they were asking for. But you're going to find out that they got exactly what they asked. But before the, that happens, before we hear the rest of the story, let's hear the rest of the story on this in verse 24. It says, when the ten heard about this, that's the ten other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, folks, I know that happens in church, too. You see somebody who is standing up, who's going after it, who's trying to help us get things done, and you ridicule them, you mock them, you pull them down. Folks, that's not, should not be. Let God do that. Because He will. What does it mean to be indignant? It means to be angry because of something unworthy. And what, ha what the, the Bible is telling us is that the ten disciples didn't think that James and John were worthy to be better than them. They, they saw these knuckleheads. They saw what they've done. They lived, they were fishermen with them before Jesus ever come along. The, the worst to know about James and John, these disciples knew. And yet here is the legacy that the sons of thunder leave us. James was the first apostle killed. He changed from a noisy, judgmental, vindictive, ambitious, and conniving person to abandon everything for the cause of Christ. History tells us that as he was being led and marched to the executioner, that he was boldly proclaiming that Christ was the Son of God. And that his faith was so convincing that the four soldiers that took him, they surrendered to Christ and died on the spot with him. That's James's legacy. John, his brother, is the last apostle to die. He was called the apostle of love. If you read his three epistles, the word love is mentioned 40 times in three very short letters. Very different from the one who wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy a village that had ridiculed, had mocked their leader. You see, both James and John, their life, their heart was changed. In verse 25, Jesus called them together the other disciples, all 12 of them now, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And what he was telling them is there's, there's, there's leadership that is being exhibited and you want to mock and, or follow in that leadership style. In this case, James and John were seeking positional leadership. Positional leadership is when the leader leads by leverage. They take the position and they use that position against somebody. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way, they lord the position over you. What does a, position, a positional leader look like? It looks like a title at work. Maybe your best friend gets that job and all of a sudden they're the boss. In the military, we experienced this many times. Somebody would get a promotion, and the best thing that could happen to them is that they're moved. 
Because if you got promoted, all they knew you as was the previous rank. Uh, Maybe it's a position in the home. Dad. Mom. The oldest. And that title gives you stuff. Well, not only do we have positional leaders, but there's also experiential leaders. Experiential leaders are those who lead by ability. I found this out the very toughest of ways. I was eight years old, and my sister was 11 at the time, and I remember the blue angels were flying overhead. I was sitting on the car, the the hood of the car, and my sister walked up to me and And she says, I could pull you off that car. I don't know what I was doing to provoke her. But my older sister in her position of authority changed to experiential leadership to lead by ability. And she says, I can pull you off of this car. And I said, no, you can't because dad was standing right there. And dad just turned his head away. And my sister grabbed my feet and pulled And the first thing that touched the ground was my bottom. It hurt. I cried. See, my sister demonstrated to me what um, ability leading with looks like. And, And folks, there is nothing wrong with having a position, having a title. There is nothing wrong with having experience. But for the disciples, that's not what Jesus wanted. And I am encouraging you that I believe that he wants the same for you. God is not interested in the titles that you get. He's not interested in the experiences that you have. He's not interested in the abilities that you bring to the table. Let's see in verse 26, he says, as he's speaking to the disciples, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And what Jesus was talking about, he was talking about leading Seconds. What Jesus was talking about is that somebody who leads second leads by influence. See, a leader is one who is, and and a leader who leads by influence is one who does so in a compelling manner, in a supporting manner, in a guiding manner. Matter of fact, one of the, my favorite quotes is imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You know, it means nothing when someone comes up, oh, you know, I like the way that you do that. But when you see them replicating that, that says more than words can ever speak. Moms and dads, you see this in your children. Matter of fact, uh, you may have said it the other way. When I'm a mom or dad, I'll never... And yet you end up doing it. Verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I want you to focus on that word, for many. You know, Jesus had to scold his disciples, James and John, and that they want to destroy the Samaritan town. Now, we've heard stories about the Samaritans, the good Samaritan, who was the one who helped 
the Jew that was beat up by robbers. Last week, or two weeks ago, I shared with you about the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. And because of what she experienced with Jesus, many believed. Jesus says it this way when he speaks to you and I. He wants us to bear much fruit. I don't believe that it's God's will for your life to get saved and go to heaven by yourself. Powerful words spoken by Wayne Huizinga. To know that your family is going to be in eternity with you. I love looking out and I see in families. But let me say this, it's not enough just to bring them to church. The most important thing is, do they go to heaven with us? Are we bearing much fruit? And so I leave you with a question today, and that is this, who are you leading? Now, many of you thought on this topic of leadership, you know what, I got to sit this one out. I'm not a leader. I don't have a title. I don't even want to be a leader. You're like, whoo, you know, Ronnie's not going to get on to me today. Wrong answer. I remember very clearly, it was Labor Day of 2007. We'd already been attacked by rockets. I remember I was on the Skype. God bless Skype. It's the only contact I had back with Carrie. I'm on the Skype, the video with her, and then the rockets start coming in, and, and all she hears is a lot of loud noise and a siren going off, and I said, I got to go. And for the next couple of hours, we're in the bunker waiting for the rocket attack to end, waiting for the all-clear signal to be given. That happened. Uh, we got back to our huts, you could imagine the adrenaline was still going. It was hard to go to sleep, but uh, we eventually did. And then about 2 a.m. in the morning, I hear a gunshot. And there's banging on the door. And right outside our hut, one of our teammates had taken his life. Remember carrying him to the medic station? I remember praying over him with the team around. I remember watching the doctor measure the holes in the distance. I remember walking back and walking by the blood on the gravel and this rose growing there. I remember them carrying the body bag out to the Chinook helicopter. I remember the next day when our team was pulled together and mental health was brought in. And, and, and what had happened was our team up to this point was, had done phenomenal. Everything that had been thrown at us, we achieved. Everything that had come at us, we all filled our role on the team and had done incredibly well. Matter of fact, we've gone through training with another sister team and we beat them at everything. We loved it. And yet when this happened, our team fell apart. 
And about two weeks after this, uh, I'm still having a hard time with it. And one of the majors on the team uh, pulled me aside and said, hey, Ronnie, can we take a walk? So we're walking, and the compound's not big. It's not even as big as the property that our church is on. We're walking around and talking about nothing at first, and then finally it gets to the, the conversation that the major wanted to happen. And he said, Ronnie, he says, you're destroying our team. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, Ronnie, everybody looks up to you. I said, stop right there. I said, I'm like the fifth down in rank on this team. He says, I know you are. He says, everybody else does too. He says, but everybody looks up to you. He says, when you walk in the room, everyone stops. And whatever, <laughs> if you're happy, the team's happy. If you're angry, the team's angry. And right now, for two weeks, you've been angry. And it's hurting our team. You see, I convinced myself that because I didn't have the position, the title, that I wasn't leading the team. And yet I found out that I was. And I would say this to you today. Make no mistake about it. You are leading as well. You don't have the title, you don't have a position, and you're happy that you don't, but everybody within the sound of my voice, everybody watching this online, every one of us are leading someone. Matter of fact, where you're leading yourself is where you end up leading other people. And you're leading through influence. And the question I will finish today with is this. What kind of influence are you leading? Is it good or is it bad? Are you building your team up or are you destroying your team? Are you mad like I was? At, are you mad at God? And because you're mad at God, everybody else has to experience that? What does your leadership look like? You know, I shared with you this morning that we baptized 58. You clapped. This is great. It's something to celebrate. But I tell you that the reason why there's 58 people that were baptized here at Crossroads Church was because of you and your leadership. It was because of you getting out of your comfort zone and talking to people about Jesus that you've never talked to about Jesus before. It's because you weren't afraid to respond to that message and bring in spiritual conversation. But many are leading in a much different way. Instead of leading to a spiritual conversation, they're leading away from that. 
instead of talking about what God's doing in your life or, or maybe how you're struggling with what God's doing in your life, you lead people away from those spiritual conversations. And Satan likes that. Satan, you know, I, th I think some of us convince ourselves that, that Satan wants us to do dastardly things. He wants us to go out and do evil. He wants us to go out and murder and kill. He wants us to go out and profane God's name. No, you know what Satan wants? He wants you to just keep doing what you're doing, and that's nothing. He, he wants you to not pick up your Bible and read it. He wants you to not raise your hands when you worship. He wants you to not tell anybody about what God is doing in your life when, when He does something supernaturally, but yet you're afraid to say that out loud. God, Satan just wants you to just be quiet about that. Just keep it to yourself, and he'll leave you alone. Matter of fact, the best way to know that you're on the right path is when, when the devil is in your face, when the wheels are falling off on life, that's when you know that God is about to do something great. And instead of trying to call down fire from heaven, we should do what Jesus said, and we should treat this church like it's a hospital and get the sick here. That's why 58 people were baptized. Because you all saw a hospital. You all saw a place where somebody could encounter the living God. It wasn't happening out at the workplace. It wasn't happening at your homes. But it was happening in God's house. Who are you leading? Who are you influencing? If you're trying to convince yourself right now that it's nobody, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. If you're trying to convince yourself that that's not you. I'm here to tell you that your Savior says that you're wrong. I told you this in the spring, that there's only two reasons, or there's only two things that we can't do when we get to heaven. We won't be able to sin, amen? amen. And we won't be able to tell anybody else about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So why do you think out of those two reasons we're left here on this earth? It's not the sin, although we're really good at that. But you know what? First John says, confess. That's it. Confess your sins and he'll forgive you. Take care. That's taken care of. Number two, what are we supposed to do? Tell others about Jesus Christ. Lift his name high. Worship team, will you come forward? The worship team is going to lead us in a song called Available. I wonder, have you made yourself available? Have you surrendered and recognized that you are leading people? The question is, where are you leading them? And, and, and church, hear me this. It's so innocuous sometimes the way that we don't live out our Christian faith. We're not doing bad. We're not doing evil. 
We're just not doing good. And God says that that is sin. What would happen if a group of people at Crossroads Church decided, you know what? I'm not going to worry about my reputation. I'm not going to worry about what people call me. I'm not going to worry about anything else. And instead, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Because the, where you're leading yourself is where you're leading everybody else. And I'm here to tell you that your heavenly father, he's not done. He's not done with you. He has a plan. You know, I look and, and I see families. I see one person that was here faithfully for two years. And now their entire family is a part of this church, uh, an active part of this church. I watch someone else who's been faithful in this church for over a decade, and now their family fills up an entire row when they're not even here. I've watched people when they faced one after another battle, when Satan has made himself real in their life, through the form of cancer, through the form of a relative dying from COVID, through the form of Losing their job. And here's what I want you to know. That your God has not forsaken you. Matter of fact, the, the verse I read says, I never will forsake you. I know that that's not true on our part all the time. Because there are many times where each of us have walked out on God. When I was in Afghanistan and when I had to deal with the loss of that teammate, I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't leading people to the Lord. And by the assertion from one of my teammates, I was leading them away. Matter of fact, if you had asked them, based on my behavior during that time, would you want to be a Christian like Ronnie? No. So I ask you again, where are you leading people? Will you stand to your feet? As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 